Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Our guest today on the Pet Show is Tyler Henry, host of E's Hollywood Medium, which first began airing in 2016. The show proved to be an immediate breakout hit for the network, reaching 3.2 million viewers in its third episode, making it E's biggest launch of a non-spin-off, unscripted series in the network's history. Henry's a clairvoyant medium, which is the practice of purportedly mediating communications between spirits of the dead and living human beings. Practitioners are known as mediums or spirit mediums. On his show, Henry sits with celebrities and connects them with their deceased loved ones. He connected Bella Thorne with her departed father and channeled the spirit of Brittany Murphy. Other guests have included Megan Fox, Jamie Presley, Latoya Jackson, Nancy Grace, Alan Thicke, retired NBA player John Sally, and actors Monica Potter, Amber Rose, Jaleel White, The Kardashians, Carmen Electra, Matt Lauer, Chad Michael Murray, Chrissy Metz, Kristen Cavallari, Bobby Brown, Rosalind Sanchez, Tom Arnold, Erica Jane, and many more. In 2016, he released his best-selling memoir, Between Two Worlds, Lessons from the Other Side. Henry grew up in rural California outside of Fresno in the farming community of Hanford. He was 10 when he discovered that he had clairvoyant abilities. He gave readings to students and teachers at Hanford's Sierra Pacific High School, from which he graduated on an accelerated academic program. He initially aspired to attend college and become a hospice nurse. However, by the age of 19, he was discovered, and before long, he gained a celebrity clientele and reality TV development deal. He began filming his e-television series when he was 19 years old, with the show airing one week after his 20th birthday. Much of his work of late has focused on the deceased pets of his celebrity guests, where he connects them to their beloved animals in the afterlife. He joins us today from his Los Angeles home via Zoom. Despite the slightly unpersonal nature of video chat, Henry is incredibly present and attentive. Whatever your views are on clairvoyance, he exudes a genial charm and almost otherworldly sense of empathy that he's able to use to his advantage in his readings to get his clients to relax and open up. Our conversation today is wide-ranging. From the philosophies of Carl Jung to Michael Jackson's pet cockatoo and some of the readings he's given around celebrity pets from Selma Blair to Caesar Millian. And he explains how his ability to communicate with the deceased transfers to the animal world. So without further ado, Tyler Henry, welcome to The Pet Show. I was watching an interview recently that you did, I think, with the Hudson Institute. And you said that you were surprised when pets started coming through to you, but that consciousness transcends physical death. Can you explain how that connects to your ability to connect with pets as well? Sure. So through my work, I've done over a thousand readings. And typically when we think of connecting to the other side, we think of loved ones, you know, our grandparents, our brothers, sisters, parents. But I found that even animals do make a connection. And I really came to kind of understand that Anything with sentience has the ability to come through, to communicate, to form bonds. And I find that those bonds are reflected on the other side. So I kind of view it as a, a conversation around consciousness, that I have a consciousness, you have a consciousness, a dog has a consciousness. And essentially that, that fundamental makeup of what we are 
is what continues to grow and evolve. And I believe that the bonds that we create here still exist there. So it's, it's fascinating to see how it kind of ties into pets. Absolutely. And where is there? And I guess that's a question that people have been trying to answer since, you know, that, you know, organized religion and everything. That's pretty much the purpose is figuring out what is there. But in your mind, in terms of how you relate to people and beings in the afterlife, you know, what is that? Like, like what is that there? Sure. So a lot of people ask, you know, where are they? Is it a physical place? Is it heaven? Is it hell? You know, do we go up or down? <laughs> and I really kind of likened it to viewing it more as a state of existence versus a physical place. And it's really tricky because all of our points of reference are physical. We think of our physical world, our tangible, um, you know, things we can touch. I believe that it becomes a lot more complicated in this next realm of existence. And when I communicate with these individuals, they acknowledge if anything, being more in a state of consciousness where they ultimately obtain acceptance and through that acceptance comes peace. So I believe it's really kind of a multifaceted process, one that involves probably different dimensions um, and probably, you know, is, is far beyond even anything I could process or understand. But I do believe that from wherever they are, they do have some form of an insight that we don't. I believe that they're able to kind of understand what we do and where we're at. Um, one of the analogies I use is, is this. I, I say that oftentimes, you know, if you think of it like uh, you're on a street in New York City, if there was a car accident two streets over, you wouldn't really be able to see it, right? But if you were washing a window 20 stories up on a skyscraper, you might be able to see what was going on two streets over when that car accident happens. And so in essence, I believe that when we pass away, we evolve in where we're at, where wherever we go, wherever we continue on to, we're able to both have our own unique experiences and also witness things that other people and other consciousnesses have in a way that we don't when we're here. And you said that they come through to you when they're at peace. So when they're, if someone is not at peace, does that mean that, or, or a dog or a cat is not at peace, does that mean that they can't come through or they're coming through to you in distress? So I generally find when I communicate with various individuals, be it the soul of, or the consciousness of an animal, of a person, they tend to acknowledge some aspect of kind of processing their lives. Um, I refer to this process uh, when humans go through it as a life review. Um, this life review allows us to kind of process what we did and didn't do. I think we, we kind of learn a lot just fundamentally as our consciousness shifts. But a lot of that also has to do with ego death. And as human beings, you know, we do have egos. We have certain beliefs that inform how we view ourselves. And a lot of those beliefs get kind of deep, deep processed, I believe, on the other side. So when we talk about pets and animals, you know, they come through a lot more innocently. I think they have a lot less to process, a lot less baggage to kind of unload, so to speak. And so oftentimes I'll find that they come through almost reminiscent to how children or, or young, young people kind of connect in, in a way that's a lot more innocent and a lot more um, seamless even when I connect. What is the process of connecting an individual with their deceased pet and, and how does that work? Can, can you sort of walk me through when you first sit down with the person like, are you holding certain totems? Just sort of walk me through the process for when, for how it works. So yeah, well. absolutely. So whether I'm doing a reading on someone who's passed or on a pet that's passed, the process is fundamentally the same. I basically sit down with a person and I always say that my sixth sense uses the other five senses to communicate. So as I get into kind of a meditative state, I kind of become hyper aware of any changes that go on in my mind. 
and in my body. And when I communicate with the consciousness of a person, sometimes I'll take on physical causes of passing. Sometimes I'll hear a name or see a memory or even get smells or hear noises. And so when I connect with an animal, I usually find it is a little bit more straightforward. I do believe that their consciousness relays what it understood. And oftentimes those understandings are a little less than, than maybe what a human consciousness was able to intuit. So for example, I did a reading with Jennifer Esposito in New York, and I think it was season three of my TV show, and she brought me an object, and it was a bow tie. And as I was holding on to this bow tie, I was hoping you know somebody would come through, maybe an uncle, grandpa, who knows, who wears a bow tie. But as I was holding on to this, I was surprised by how simple the feelings were that were coming through. All I was really picking up on was this distinct name, and I kept hearing Frank, 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 and it kept being said to me repeatedly, and I didn't understand why. Well, it ends up that this bow tie that I was holding on to belonged to Jennifer's golden retriever named Frankie, and one of the few things that dog's consciousness was able to recollect was its name. It was something that was recognizable to it. So versus it, you know, communicating how it passed and what it dealt with and all this information, it, it kind of highlighted what it was most aware of. And that was its identity, what it was called. Um, and that kind of translated even in its communication with the other side. So you're not having so much a direct conversation with them as you are reading particular symbols that they're giving off and then you are translating that. That's sort of your role as a medium. You are yes. translating those images and symbols into meaning for the person that you're sitting with. For sure, it's very interpretational. You know, it's not like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost where I see you know, dead people walking around. And, right, right. Uh, oh, no, Oda Mae Brown here. So, you know, it, it is a little different in the sense that it really is a process of getting into a certain mindset, being able to pick up on subtle changes that go on in my mind and my body. And through my work, I've just kind of trained myself to notice these things, interpret them as messages, and then kind of relay what it means. But in order to get those feelings about the pet, are you holding things in your hands that belong to them? It's like, how are you entering into their transcendental space or, or whatever you call it? Totally. So, you know, I, the process of holding onto an object is called psychometry. And it's something that has a history that goes back hundreds of years. But the idea being that objects hold energy. Now, I myself have gone back and forth as to what extent the object really makes a difference in a reading. There's times where I'll find someone will connect in the reading who an object was never brought for. But what I have found to be valuable is when a client, say, you know, brings an object, every time they look at that object, they're thinking of the person they're hoping to connect with. And that kind of shift in consciousness, that intention, that focus alone, I believe does help that individual come through, whether it's holding on to your uncle's watch or whether it's holding on to your dog's leash. All of these things really just act as conscious reminders of who we're here to connect with, who we're here to feel or, or hear a message from. And so I believe that that kind of translates in and of itself in a reading. So it's less to me about the object, more about the reminder, and that reminder acts as a facilitator for a connection. Are you getting physical sensations? Like, are you, when, like when that reading is beginning to come through and you're beginning to make that connection, what physically is happening inside you? Sure. So every individual on the other side communicates differently, just as people do in our day-to-day -day life. So some are more articulate, some communicate through certain modalities and avoid others. I do find that when animals come through, like I said earlier, they do tend to reflect more of an innocent, 
clear, maybe more simple uh, consciousness or perspective, whereas people tend to be a little bit more complicated and will relay more complex messages. So I do find that the capability of the soul, to some extent, is in alignment with its incarnation of its brain and of its capability when we're physically here. And I theorize that as we go on through the universe, you know, we may kind of evolve in our consciousness and that kind of gets in the subject of reincarnation. <laughs> Um, animals definitely can still acknowledge certain things, just as a dog will recognize its name in this realm. I believe they can communicate certain understandings in the next. Now, have you had any more direct conversation or sort of direct encounters with, with, with pets that go beyond symbols and images? Is there ever a time when you punch through that and get to sort of something that's even further transcendent? Totally. I've really found it to be interesting as far as um, what the role is that animals play in our lives. And I have found that even these animals, when they come through, often will recognize an understanding, even though they lived simply and were kind of limited in, in what they could really understand consciously, they do somehow understand their role in the life of their owner or of their person. And so that kind of goes back to that conversation around unconditional love. You know, pets teach us um, how to love, but also how to receive love and that's a whole other thing too you know we think of our pets as an opportunity to love something and baby it in some cases <laughs> but there's also something to be said about the love that they give us and the the way that it changes our consciousness just being around that and so i think that to some extent they understand these lessons that they're here to teach even if it's on some kind of ephemeral level yeah. and it's really interesting when did you first become aware of your ability to connect with pets? I, I know you've done almost, you've now done over 150 pet readings, but when did you first realize that you could, you could make that connection? And then what was your first? Well, it's interesting because I don't remember the exact first reading I did when I brought through a pet. I started noticing that they'd get referred to when I would connect with people's loved ones who passed away who were individuals, uh, human beings. And so, you know, I would connect with grandma and grandma would talk about the white dog that she used to have. Um, there were instances where horses would get referred to. There were times when, you know, I'd see a bird or that seemed to hold significance. It was really kind of a culmination of a lot of different events where these animals got recognized and acknowledged as being significant. But only in the past few years have I really kind of delved into that and, and understood that they do serve a profound purpose in our life, much like how we learn certain things from other individuals that cross our paths. The same applies to animals and what they're here to teach us. Have you uh, tried to go back and connect with your own pets from your past? Is, is, is that something that you've tried to do in, in order to find some closure or, or just see how they're doing? <laughs> you know, I'm really lucky. All of the pets I've had have lived pretty full lives. I've never had any, any tragic passings around an animal. So I, I have find that my kind of philosophy around even dealing with the passings of living people is that if I'm okay with their life, with their passing, then I, I let them kind of evolve and continue on wherever they're at. And, and I'm able to kind of have peace with them. And so I kind of maintain that same mentality for pets, for, for those who passed away. Let sleeping dogs lie, as they say. <laughs> yes, exactly. What are some signs that a pet may be trying to connect with you from the hereafter? Like, do people, without realizing it, ever get these signs from pets themselves? And then how do they then interpret that? So one of the most profound ways that I believe the departed do communicate with us directly is through our dreams. 
I think one of the big barriers to receiving psychic information, messages, kind of the more subtle uh, aspects of the universe revolve around our consciousness. And when we're conscious, we're very much distracted. Whereas when we're asleep, we're in a much more receptive state where it's really more of a subconscious form of existence. So I find that oftentimes people will dream of loved ones, be it a person, be it a pet, and that these dreams oftentimes will stick with people in a way that's very profound or unlike any other dream they've had to date. And so when people have these experiences, I think it's important to honor them, to recognize them for what they are. But dreams and synchronicities seem to be the two primary ways that messages are relayed to us directly. And synchronicities to me, I define as meaningful coincidences. So, you know, noticing certain things. I had a client actually who was grieving the death of her dog. And on the anniversary of her dog's death, a stray dog appeared at her front door. So oh, wow. she took that as a sign from her departed animal that, hey, maybe it was time to open up the home to bring this dog in. And so she adopted this stray dog that appeared randomly. So that's just an example of the synchronicity. And I think there's a number of ways they communicate. And synchronicity is another way of saying that serendipity might not be serendipity or that chance encounter. That wasn't a random encounter, but that was actually a message from someone else in the in the in the hereafter right carl jung uh, defines that as essentially a coincidence with meaning or a meaningful coincidence and so i find that these moments when they do happen to us if we can recognize them sometimes they'll even lead to additional synchronicities right. so just keeping your eyes open having an open mind and, and noticing the timing of things can be really important now this might seem like a random question but you in one of your readings you connected with michael jackson who was, who was a huge pet lover in his past life. Did animals come through? Because his chimp Bubbles is still living today. Was there anything involving animals in Michael Jackson when, when you made that connection? There was. So as I was speaking to LaToya, his sister, uh, it was really fascinating because there was a very distinct reference to this specific bird. And it was a cockatoo and I was seeing it. And it was a very oddly kind of colored cockatoo. It looked really interesting. As I was describing it to LaToya, she knew who this bird was. <laughs> And it was indeed a bird Michael had had, and it held significance to him. And after the fact, I tried to see if this cockatoo was public knowledge. So I Googled and I was like, okay, let's see, cockatoo Michael Jackson, and nothing <laughs> came, in, came up about it. So to me, it was really a, a validating thing because I think it showed that even though we know love is a force, this is something that transcends species. This is something that transcends communication. And Michael felt like it was important enough to acknowledge not only just the human people that he loved, but also the pets. What did LaToya say about this cockatoo? Was it a family pet? Like, where did the bird fit into their life? It was. So it was a family pet. And it was interesting because I, I find that oftentimes certain references that are made in readings will kind of take us back to certain times in our life. So if you only had snickerdoodle cookies when, you know, your grandmother made them when you were 10, uh, you know, something similar will kind of come through sometimes in readings. And in this case, Michael referred to the incident around the cockatoo, described how it looked, and it all kind of was synonymous with a lot of the other messages from a much earlier time. He had messages from situations that had happened over a decade ago. And so it kind of helped me place what time in his life he was referring to. And it was the time that they owned the cockatoo. And what, I'm sorry, I, I don't know if I understood, what point in his life uh, was that bird from? So as far as I know, it had been decades before. It wasn't a recent bird or anything along those lines, but it kind of was in alignment with a lot of the other messages that were coming through that also had to do with that time period. Now, one of the things that I found particularly powerful was the reading and the connection that you made with Caesar Million 
and his dog, Daddy. Can you walk me through what happened that day with him that made that reading so powerful for him and what came through? Totally. Well, you know, that was really kind of a, a testament to unconditional love. I don't think he's ever had someone in his life that loved him as much as that dog. <laughs> and so that was really reflected. And this animal was so much more than just a pet to him. I feel like it taught him vulnerability. It taught him in some ways how to be a father. Um, this animal was able to take on so many different roles in Caesar's life. And so those bonds, as we said earlier, you know, did translate into the next realm. There was an acknowledgement of meaning that this dog had. He was able to recognize it. And as he was expanding his family with a you know, new marriage and all of that, he was at a, a bit of a crossroad in, in his life where he really kind of needed that pet's presence, needed a reminder of that love. You know, Caesar acknowledged firsthand he had some trust issues. <laughs> and it's interesting because he doesn't have trust issues with pets. Right. So it's really only the human beings, you know, he's, he's struggled to trust. And so this animal kind of came through as a reminder that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to honor how you feel. And even in that way, I feel like that pet was still kind of acting as a therapy dog from the other side. <laughs> and I, it wasn't the same episode, but uh, there's, there's another instance with you and Selma Blair and her dog, Winky. And what I find interesting is that she had, she's had a lot of health problems and the dog itself had health problems and stayed on until after she found out she was pregnant. But I was wondering how that reading uh, came through to you and what was going on there. Sure, it was really fascinating connecting her because at that time she was right before she was really aware of all of the medical things that were going on. I believe it was before she'd even gotten a diagnosis. Oh, okay. So that, that dog really um, was fascinating because it acted as kind of a, a, a red flag or an awareness of health and matters around health. And so as she was kind of taking care of this dog, it came through at a very fundamental time for her as she was having to you know, get a diagnosis. So that's interesting. So the, so what she interpreted as the dog waiting till she thought she was healthy, but rather the dog reflecting its, its pancreatic disorder was actually almost a warning to her that she was having health problems. Were you able to pick up on that at the time? It was interesting to me how much that reading did skew in the medical direction. And so as that dog kind of prioritized its own medical stuff, it felt like there were also details around her own health that I had to assert. And so in that reading, although not all of it aired, there were a lot of discussions around her well-being, her health, getting a diagnosis, that kind of thing. So you know, pets sometimes even just act as reminders. We're, we're there for them. We are on top of them. If the second they have an issue, you know, we run to the vet. But sometimes they're here to remind us that we need to apply that same conscientiousness to ourselves. Well, there are those dogs that can smell cancer and yeah. tumors and stuff like that. And I guess that gets into you know the sort of next question is I've read these studies that dogs are capable of reading and sensing and even seeing people's auras. What do you think explains that extra sensory gift on the parts of pets? Like what is happening inside? Sure. So I theorize that intuition is really just an evolutionary trait that many of us have kind of repressed. Others of us are more predisposed to developing. I believe that animals uh, tend to be a little bit more connected to that intuition. Uh, I would call it instinct in that case, because it is something that acts as a perk for survival. And so I do believe that pets and, and oftentimes animals have this more refined than maybe we do. And so they are able to sense more subtle aspects to a situation. They sometimes can you know, detect fear or someone's intentions. And so all of that, it, you know, comes as a, as a benefit, I think, for us if we can just pay attention, you know. 
Now you said growing up, you had you you had always had you know positive relationships with animals. What was your first pet? Oh, my first pet was a golden retriever named Boo Boo when I was like <laughs> two years old, and uh, Boo Boo lived to be like twenty years old. So all oh, my pets, God. I swear, have lived to be like fifteen to twenty years old. So I don't know what we're feeding them, but <laughs> where did you grow up? I grew up in Central California in a really small town called Hanford, and it was very conservative, big farming community. People don't usually think of that when they think of California, but yeah, a lot of lot of space, a lot of acreage, so a lot of room for dogs to run around. So did you grow up around like bigger, you know, sort of agricultural animals and that vibe? Were you connected to that? Like, did you do 4-H and stuff like that? You know, I never got the chance to do 4-H, but next door we had a whole bunch of horses. And so I'd go out there and feed them. And what I've always found kind of interesting is that no matter the size of an animal, that still seems to translate in a reading. And so I've had horse people, you know, have the consciousness of horses come through and be acknowledged. Dogs, cats, teacup chihuahuas. <laughs> the size really doesn't seem to matter. It's it's more about the bonds we make and, and how that's reflected. Yeah, you were. You told me in another interview that you once received a reference for a colony of butterflies from a client. Yes. yes. So it was interesting. I've had cases where beekeepers actually have had bees referred to in readings, um, and also butterfly references seem to come through a lot. Now, I do think it is interesting about how certain symbols do come through reoccurringly within readings. People will often see butterflies and, and attribute that to loved ones. Sometimes people will see dragonflies. Sometimes people will see doves. I think there is some degree of a symbolism behind winged things and the fact that they represent ascension, they represent kind of the next stage, um, being above it all. Uh, so I think there is some symbolism even in, in how certain signs come through with animals. Or if they're a larval animal like a butterfly, it's about more of a transcendence from one stage of life to another, from caterpillar to, to, to butterfly. Definitely. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it took a while to kind of get that understanding. Yeah. yeah. So in those cases, when they're, you know, when beekeepers are, you're connecting beekeepers with their past bees and, and butterflies, like, are those butterflies and bees emoting certain images back to their owners? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I've found that they tend to just get referred to. So okay. I've never had a butterfly necessarily come through, like how maybe Jennifer Esposito's dog, you know, Frankie came through and communicated, although they get acknowledged. And so I find just the fact that they even get referred to, I don't necessarily believe that, you know, our dead honeybees are flying around still. Right, but I, right. I do feel like there is something to be said about consciousness, the fact that it recognizes its own importance, as well as the ripple effect that all consciousnesses really have on each other. And I believe that when we die, fundamentally, we understand how our single consciousness affected a much greater collective consciousness. And animals are a big part of that. Describe your own pet family today. Like what's what what's in your menagerie? <laughs> yes, well, I, I'm pretty basic. I have two dogs at the moment. I have a, a Maltapoo named Mindy, who we did rescue from a puppy mill, which was a terrible situation. She had like five infections and uh, we rescued her and saved her. And my other dog is just from a shelter and she's the most lovely little chihuahua uh, dachshund mix. So, you know, we have a, I have a white dog and a black dog and they kind of like the yin and the yang situation and they're just the sweetest things. And for me, especially with my work and kind of the draining nature of my work, being able to come home and kind of refill from that love and that attention really, really helps. Do you travel with your pets? I don't. They're very temperamental and, uh, you know, they, they kind of like familiar settings. I'm traveling. I've gone to 36 different cities across the U.S. in the past year. So I'm always flying, always going somewhere. So, <laughs> Do people show up 
at your live shows with their pets ever? Like, are, are they, or anything like that? Like, are, are there, or totems from their pets past sure. expecting you right then and there if they have five seconds with you to actually do a reading or something? Absolutely. People will sneak sometimes their dogs into their little purses. Um, I had even a, a really interesting instance a couple months ago where a husband and wife came to a book signing and I was signing the book for the husband and I just looked at him and I said, do you have a pug that's passed away? So I was seeing an image of a pug in my head and he just burst into tears crying and said that the pug was like their baby and they just love this pug more than anything. And that was part of why he was here and it was just so special. So it's interesting to see how much pets mean to people and how it even gets reflected in, in grief. I think it's evolved pet ownership a lot, even like the past 10 years in terms of the way pets have become more than just the family pet, like when I was growing up, but literally part of the family. You know, there are fur babies, they are, for a lot of people, they are delaying having children and wind up making the pet a substitute child. It's become a, a far different pet owner context than it used to be, I feel like. Definitely. I think it's just a testament to that closeness. I think evolutionarily, you know, they've always, there's been kind of a mutually beneficial relationship there that pets have had, but now we're kind of entering into new territory with dressing them up and calling them our babies. And, and you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of evolves. Do you dress your pets up at all? Do you have any special <laughs> costumes for them? You know, I don't, but you know, I'm saving it for my thirties. I might get there. <laughs> <laughs> That'll, that'll be a good day then. So you're not particular to any breeds. You're just, if you love it, you're bringing it home. Absolutely. I think any dog that's here is worthy of love. So for me, I'm, I'm always open to expanding my family, but I also don't want to take on too much being that I travel so much. So you're not a cat person at all? That's not, you're, you're, you're more a dog person? You know, I had a cat for, he lived to be 16 years. I swear, I don't know what's in the water, but this cat lived to be really old. And uh, he recently passed away a couple, about a year ago. Time has flown by. Yeah, he was really my, my little buddy. And since then, I haven't really been open to cats just because he's like the only cat I could I could think of having. Right. But. What kind of cat was he? Was he an indoor outdoor? Was he like super affectionate or one of those super independent cats that just kind of did its own thing? He was a barn cat. So he, mm -hmm. at one point we had to get his weight down because he was eating all of the rats and he got actually to be about uh, 25 pounds, which is really unhealthy for a cat. Holy so cow. we got him on a little diet and he still lived to be really old. And so he, he was definitely more uh, <laughs> independent. <clears throat> he was a bit mean of a cat. When people would come over, he'd jump on him and we had to like warn people. So. It was a one-person animal, for sure. Yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, I have that, too, where, you know, I have George, and he <laughs> only connects with me. Everybody else is the enemy. And I think it's because he was a rescue, and he's also blind, so he bonded with me in such a way that, like, anything else, I think, is a threat. It's really interesting to, to watch and see his behavior. Totally. And even just as we talked about earlier about that conversation around unconditional love, they also do prov provide a really interesting insight into loyalty and what it means to be loyal. And I think there's even lessons that can be learned from how our pets, uh, you know, show that to us. That's all the time we have today with Tyler Henry on The Pet Show. But stay tuned next week for a very special episode where we speak with CIA officer Robert Wallace, who was head of the agency's Office of Technical Services, where he served as the agency's version of Q from the James Bond films, in charge of all the really cool gadgets. 
For the first time in podcast history, we uncover the CIA's role in Acoustic Kitty, the top secret operation to use cats for espionage work. In this amazing true story, he describes how the feline spies were implanted with a bugging device and trained for field work. We also speak to Bob Bailey, one of the pioneers of an animal training practice known as operant conditioning, about his role in training the cats and how they were deployed in the field in Moscow. In addition to his later work training ravens for use as spies and a fateful training day with the birds at Watergate Hotel. Please make sure to tune in for this amazing story next week only on The Pet Show. And if you haven't yet had the chance, please go to The Pet Show at Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. It makes a huge difference. The Pet Show is brought to you by Audio Up Media and is distributed by iHeartRadio. Written and produced by me, Jimmy Jalinek, and co-hosted by Dennis Quaid. The executive producers are Jared Gustat and Dennis Quaid. Our editor is Bill Marked, and our associate producer is Emma Rapold. We'll talk to you next week.